Let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of your holy word as we look today at one of the most difficult passages uh, in the Bible to understand. Um, we would like to thank you for those uh, careful scholars of the past who walked with faith very, um, very gingerly through these, uh, through these verses of scripture um, to learn exactly what they mean. And when we ourselves walk through this part of the forest of your holy word and walk up to every tree branch and give it a shake, we pray that you will share with us your truth for our benefit, um, not for our confusion, but for our comfort through Jesus our Savior. Amen. Luther said that more than once, that uh, as he was translating the Bible, he said, I, there is no branch that I have not gone up to and given a good shake. I like that picture of, of, of working through every part of Scripture. And uh, having worked through uh, some parts of the Bible that carefully myself, I appreciate uh, the way Luther said that. So we're on verse, uh, we're, 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 we finished at verse 17 last time. And I'm not going to quite, uh, I'm not going to go back any earlier than that, but we're going to revisit 17 today. But I wanted to just walk us very briefly through this um, this question of how Daniel uses Jeremiah's prophecy. All right, this is Jeremiah 29. I'm going to quickly, or try to quickly, read through these verses from Jeremiah 29, and then we'll continue with the end of Daniel's prayer. We're in Daniel 9, and my contention, or, or my, uh, uh, what, hypothesis, is that Daniel is following Jeremiah at this point of of, of the book. Just as Isaiah and Micah sometimes talk back and forth to each other, and maybe some of the Psalms, or certainly some of the Proverbs, talk back and forth to one another, and, and Isaiah and Micah do that occasionally, I think that Daniel is speaking to Jeremiah here. Um, as he's reading Jeremiah's prophecy, he's responding to the word of God in Jeremiah. Jeremiah went into exile shortly after Daniel did, and he began writing at the same time Daniel did, writing, writing his book. And Daniel, now in captivity, has read part of Jeremiah, certainly this chapter, chapter, four, uh, chapter 29. That's given Daniel comfort because Daniel has said, quoting this chapter, has said, well, Lord, you said we were going to be here 70 years. And by my calendar... I believe we've been here 69 years and 11 months. So Daniel's kind of looking at his watch and tapping his foot and prayer, not tapping his foot, but prayerfully saying to the Lord, it's been 70 years. Um, and so the captivity should be ending. But I want to read through this just quickly. I'll, I'll, if I stop talking and get to it, we'll get through it more quickly. Jeremiah 29. The Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams, for they prophesy falsely in my name, but I did not send them, declares the Lord. What kind of prophets are these? False prophets, sure. This is what the Lord says. After 70 years have gone by in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious word to bring you back to this place. 
For I alone know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you peace, not harm, plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you have Jeremiah 29, 11 up on a wall somewhere at your house? Uh, yeah, it's in, it's in two places at my mother-in-law's house. And yeah, um, plans to give you hope and a future. You will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me for you will seek me with all your hearts. Um, beautiful, beautiful words. I will let you find me, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from your exile. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have exiled you, declares the Lord. When he says all the nations and all the places, Jeremiah is not just thinking of Babylon, is he? He's got a mind for those who are in other places. Where in the Christmas story, I'm trying to help you, do we meet somebody from one of those northern tribes? Anna, the prophetess in the temple, is from the tribe of Asher. Isn't that interesting? So somebody from Judah and somebody, somebody from the northern tribes and somebody from the southern tribes greets the Savior in the temple at his dedication. Pretty cool, huh? I will bring you back to the place from which I caused you to be exiled. Because you say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and about all the people who remain in this city, your brothers who were not carried away into exile with you. Remember, Jeremiah was still back in Jerusalem. Yes, this is what the Lord says. I will send sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like rotten figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. Ugh. I will pursue them with a sword, famine, and plague. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a thing to be hissed at, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they have not obeyed my words, declares the Lord, words I sent against them, or rather I sent them again and again through my servants, the prophets." So we're returning to the idea of false prophets and the curse. So just to compare Jeremiah and Daniel, I know we're kind of doing this quickly, but I just wanted to show you um, what we have here. Um, uh, we have in Daniel and in Jeremiah some similar themes. That's why I have come to my conclusion. They both begin with talk about true and false prophets. Then... They both talk about the 70 years of exile. That's pretty obvious. Then they talk once again about false prophets in particular. Um, there is a reference or a thought about the other scattered exiles in both Daniel 9 and in Jeremiah 29. That is the northern tribes. Then there is a promise from God to be merciful, gracious, and forgiven and forgiving. And in the prayers... We have sinned and you have forgiven. So that balance of sin and grace in God's word. And then the threat of disaster for not obeying uh, comes. And then God's invitation, or rather the, the prayer, uh, turn away your scorn um, at the end. Um, and interestingly, uh, in Jeremiah 9.29, I didn't have this on the, in the slides, but the very next thing in Jeremiah is the story of the two men in a fiery furnace. Which you may not recognize, because uh, it goes by, if you're reading Jeremiah, it goes by pretty quick. 
and they're two separate individuals, but it's, it, it really leaps out at you when you're comparing Jeremiah to Daniel that this chapter of Jeremiah also talks about two guys in a fiery furnace and reminds us of what happened earlier with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, except these two guys in Jeremiah don't survive. Um, they're punished that way. Um, Daniel went in with the first round of captives, and Jeremiah went uh, uh, escaped from the last round of captives as they were going into Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing at about the same time that Daniel is beginning his work in Babylon. And Jeremiah was released. He, he was shackled up with the, with the group, ready to go into captivity. And the, and the Babylonian commander came and, un, and unlocked him and let him go. But then he got mixed up. Um, it was just one of those things. He was out walking in the street with his scribe Baruch, and the men who assassinated Gedaliah, who was the, 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 the Jewish governor, they were running away from the assassination. It just happened. It's almost as if John Wilkes Booth bumped into you in the street outside the Ford's Theater. They, they, they slammed into Jeremiah and Baruch, recognized them and took them with him, almost like hostages. And they ran all the way to Egypt. So they forced Jeremiah to go with them down to Egypt, and that's where he ends up. But his book has trickled back up to Babylon. So Daniel's reading the book, and my, my contention is that Daniel is responding to Jeremiah in, in this chapter. So does it, after, after I laid it out this way, does it kind of seem, do you, you see where I'm going with that and why I said that? Okay, all right, let's get back to Daniel then. Now listen, our God, to the prayer of your servant and to his plea for grace, and let your face shine upon your desolate sanctuary for your sake, my Lord. I think last time I talked about the benediction, the ironic blessing. Um, notice it's the plea for grace. Um, we are saved by grace alone. What are the three pillars of the Reformation? The three alones. Grace alone. Faith alone, scripture alone. Yeah. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura. So there are actually more solas, more pillars. Those are the main three that we talk about um, of the Reformation. Um, let's go into verse 18 here. Um, My God, <clears throat> turn your ear toward us and listen. Open our eyes and see the desolation that is upon us and the city that is called by your name. What city is he talking about? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Why does Daniel care about Jerusalem? Well, it's where the temple is. And although the temple was destroyed, Daniel wants to see it rebuilt. And he wants to see worship go back to the way it was. That's Daniel's frame of mind. Do we care much about Jerusalem today? No. But partly, we don't care about Jerusalem today because of this chapter. So don't get Daniel out of his chapter before, before it happens. So, uh, no, it is not because of our righteous acts that we are casting our plea for grace before you, but because of your great acts of compassion. So, once again, the Reformation pillars, which one is this? Gratia, it's, it's grace alone. Um, uh, and I hesitate to call it a Lutheran doctrine because it's not a Lutheran doctrine, it's a scriptural doctrine. 
We are saved by the grace of God alone. And what an amazing passage this is. Um, wouldn't this be a good Reformation text some, sometime for a sermon? Daniel 9.18. Um, uh, also in this verse, uh, we have this uh, curious turn of phrase in the EHV. We are casting our plea for grace before you. The Hebrew word here, uh, nafal, is to throw down. To throw our plea down at your feet. I was doing this with a couple yesterday who are going to get their baby baptized in a week or two. And we were going through verses about baptism that talk about us. And I said, look at, just say me or I here. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. A, a really good uh, way of, did you say personalizing scripture? I like the way that you put that. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to also just mention in passing um, this uh, throwing down our plea before you, casting our plea. The, the word nafal, um, uh, one of the words for giants in the Old Testament is the Nephilim. Have you heard that term before? Um, we're not sure why they were called that, but it's based on this same word, to fall. Uh, are the Nephilim the one who cause us to fall? Or are they the ones who fall on us? You know, it, it's, we're not really sure of the etymology of the word, except that it comes from this same root, the root for to fall, but a um, uh, 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 curious thing. A lot of interesting archaeological research into ancient giants recently. Um, another time we'll talk about that. Um, verse 19. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, pay attention. Do you pray that way? How many of you are school teachers? You ever pray that way? Pay attention, Lord. No, no. The Lord is not your third grader um, or what have you. Um, but for your sake, my God, do not delay for your sake, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So Daniel's saying something similar. I think Daniel's taking a page out of Moses' book here. Moses, who would say, what will the, oh, Lord, what will the Egyptians say? What will the Canaanites think if you destroy us out here in the desert? And Daniel saying, this is for your sake, because these people are called by your name. I have a question here in the notes under verse 19. What's the poetic parallelism in these four quick sentences? Listen, forgive, pay attention, don't delay. This is just to cover it briefly, because we've got the 70 weeks to go to today. This is it. So the, the first and third items go together, and the second and fourth items go together. It's a kind of parallel expression. So listen, pay attention, first and third, and then forgive, do not delay. Um, do not delay isn't really part of forgiveness, but it's the time reference on forgive. Don't take your time. Don't drag your heels on this, Lord. Please forgive us and forgive us today for what we've done. Verse 20 and following. Gabriel explains Jerusalem's future. This is Gabriel's second appearance in Daniel. And not sure, but I think Gabriel is the angel in the rest of the book because chapters 10 to 12 are all part of the same scene. But this one is Gabriel, for sure. 
Um, so Gabriel making his second appearance, and of course he appears a couple times with Mary and Joseph, doesn't he? With, or with Mary, I should say. Um, um, so while I was still speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, I was casting my prayer for grace concerning the holy mountain of my God before the Lord my God. There's the same expression, throwing it down at God's feet. I'm not, you know, the, the one thing that makes me nervous about the EHV's translation here is when you hear the verb cast, talking about words, what might you, where might your brain go? Throwing, maybe? I'm impressed. My, my sinful brain didn't go there. I thought of casting a spell. And if you guys didn't, then we're okay with this translation here of the EHV. But I, that's, that's kind of where I went. So, um, But casting. So my prayer for grace. It's not a spell. It's, he's throwing it down at God's feet. Um, but speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Um, and concerning the holy mountain of my God before the Lord my God, Daniel wants the temple to get rebuilt. He wants worship to go on as it had. So 21, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the first vision, touched me. I was completely exhausted. It was about the time of the evening sacrifice. There's a lot of little stuff packed into that, into that verse. Um, so a reintroduction of Gabriel. Notice the time. Daniel is still in the prayer when Gabriel comes. And what do you think Gabriel has come with? The answer to the prayer. Daniel is still praying and the angel with the answer shows up. Which means God knew the whole prayer before Daniel finished praying it. And God sent the angel back with the answer before Daniel finished praying the prayer. So God displaying his godly qualities here um, by dispatching an angel with the prayer. Um, uh, what, what company does that today? Mysteriously, magically, miraculously. Do you know? They're getting into trouble for it. Amazon. Yeah. If... Uh, if, if you're shopping on Amazon and your mouse hovers over something, Amazon might send that thing to a warehouse close to you just because you looked at it a little longer than usual. Um, even though you haven't ordered it, they're, they're gambling that you might. And they're going to save money by getting it to you quicker because the quicker Amazon can respond to you, the more you will shop with Amazon. That's kind of how that works. Uh, so Gabriel touches Daniel. Can you think of uh, two other places in the Bible where an angel touches someone and it makes a difference? I can think of one Old and one New Testament that are pretty clear. I was thinking of Peter asleep in the prison and the angel has to wake him up so he hits him. You know, wake up, Peter. It's... <laughs> Um, also at, at uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels actually physically pull Lot's family out of the door at Sodom to get them out of the house because the sulfur is already starting to fall. And so they've got to yank them out of the... So sometimes angels don't really seem to have an impact in our lives, but they certainly can. 
And so whether it's comforting the Savior um, or, or doing one of these other things. And here, Gabriel touches Daniel, lifts him up. Um, the angel of the Lord, which is actually the pre-incarnate Christ, in the very first time he ever appears, also touches and comforts and gets up Hagar, Abraham's concubine, and uh, gives her, uh, shows her where there's water and comforts her about her son. They're dying in the desert. They've been kicked out by Sarah. Um, because of Hagar's own sinfulness. But first time the angel of the Lord appears in the Bible with Hagar. Isn't that interesting? So Daniel is exhausted. He's tired. Why would Daniel get tired out by praying? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. You ever, you ever, you ever fall asleep before you get to if I should die before I wake? Or what have you? I do sometimes. I add on the Apostles' Creed sometimes at night. I, sometimes I tack on the Lord's Prayer, um, try to get through Luther's evening prayer and all of the God blesses and, uh, you know, bless the memory of my wife and, and the cats and bless my sons and so forth and, and the cat that I have and my friend's cat and, you know, all of this stuff. And, and, um, and you think of things, and I do pray for people and not just cats, by the way. Um, but, uh, but after, a, you know, sometimes, you, you know, I worry, am I rambling? You know, sorry, Father, am I just kind of babbling? I don't want to go down into a tangent with God. Um, uh, but sometimes you get, you're just tired and you're, so I sometimes apologize and I just stop and I say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm going to bed now. You know, amen. Um, that kind of thing. But that, I don't think that's why Daniel was tired here. I think that Daniel is exhausted because he's praying a prayer of repentance for the whole nation. And the burden of the sinfulness of the nation was wearing him out. Um, it was just, and, and, and to, as a prophet of God, to be praying on behalf of the nation. Sometimes Daniel is, the book and our, our perception of Daniel is criticized because the Bible never calls Daniel a prophet. So was he a prophet? Well, the word prophet, Navi in Hebrew, means the one who goes between. Speaks to God on behalf of the people, speaks to the people on behalf of God. Isn't that exactly what Daniel is doing here? Without the title, that's what he's doing here. So he's acting in the role of a prophet. Um, if we had to give Daniel a title that he really had in life, we would call him the chief of the Magi. Because that's what his title was in Babylon. Um, but he's acting, certainly behaving as a prophet here. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.